Welcome to Tuesday's programme. It's five o'clock. That is UK time here in Salford, the 1st of March, 2022. March 1st. How cool is that? Bit of a reset today. Don't think that's subliminal, by the way. Uh, There are no great resets going on here. Uh, Due to circumstances beyond my control yesterday, we couldn't speak with my guests, Dr. Jane Dunnigan and Gerardo Colmon, but... That's been sorted. Thank you, Paul Ripley. Uh, I will be speaking with Garod and Jane. This programme, do get involved through the website richieallen.co.uk. Have your say there. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on RichieAllen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Ah, it's been a good old day, a busy old day here at BBG Towers with the old engineering going on here and other things. Glorious, glorious day in the Northwest. Chilly, uh, for sure, but uh, sun everywhere. It's been a good day, I think. Thanks for your company. Before I go any further... I want to thank Mark Boyerski and his staff there in southern Spain. Now, you'll probably know that uh, Mark very generously said to me last week, said to you, that if you went on to markboyerski.com and you bought an audiobook or you bought an e-book, that all of the proceeds, all of the proceeds would go to supporting this programme. But, as an added bonus, that everyone who did that would be put into a draw and the winner would get an absolutely beautiful Maldivite crystal, which has been valued at £2,000. So thanks to Mark and his staff who are staying back late today. It's just gone six o'clock there in in Spain. So to everyone who took, took part in that, bloody dry mouth again. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh, I'm, I've just, I just had a gallon of water before I came on. Hang on. Ah, yeah. That'll do it. I normally wet the whistle before before coming on, but a bit of a dry mouth today for some reason. Anyway, so thanks to Mark and his staff for hanging on in there. Thanks to you for supporting it. At some stage, Mark will uh, send me the name of the person who's won the crystal, but thank you. Thanks to Mark Bayerski. Do check out markbayerski.com. Great guy. Great people there. Three minutes past five. He'll keep me posted, won't he? He will, he will. I'm keeping an eye out there. What's there to tell you today then? Ukraine, Russia, no-fly zone. What is a no-fly zone? You remember Libya, remember Tripoli, remember a no-fly zone is where, well, it's where one group of people police the airspace above a country or a city in a particular country policing the airspace above that area and any jet or plane coming into that airspace would be forced to land or shot down. Now, there have been calls today, widespread calls, for NATO to use fighter jets to police the the airspace. Again, my throat. Hang on a second. This is very unusual. I could be in the midst of an energetic attack. Hang on. I don't think I am. That's a joke, by the way. Not that energetic attacks are a joke, they're not. Excuse me, but it's just my 
my throat seizing up there. Right. Let's start again, shall we? Right, so NATO is being called upon today by politicians, Western politicians, to enact or enforce a no-fly zone above Ukraine, or at least certain cities in Ukraine, including the capital, Kiev. Yes, I had a, a message from a Ukrainian lady who said, Richie, say Kiev, don't say Kiev. Of course, you know better than I do. However, that would mean NATO jets, or jets belonging to NATO countries, firing on Russian jets. The Ukrainian president has called for it. That's Volodymyr Zelensky. A Conservative MP, former army officer Tobias Elwood, has called for it. Uh, thus far, they've been rebuffed. Now, the UK Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, was in Estonia this afternoon. In fact, he was touring uh, Eastern Europe today with Johnson. And he was asked if NATO was indeed considering sending, either sending troops in to support Ukraine or, or uh, enacting a no-fly zone over the country. This is what Boris Johnson had to say. Because I cannot think of a time in international affairs when the difference between right and wrong, between good and bad, uh, uh, between a good and evil has been so obvious. And it is clear that the, the people of Ukraine have right on their side. And I can understand why people feel as they do. But we have uh, laws in our country about, uh, about uh, international conflicts and how they must be conducted. And on your, on your point, as, as both Kaira and Jens have, have stressed, uh, NATO is a, is a defensive alliance. Uh, I think for uh, any NATO member to get involved actively in uh, conflict with, with Russia is a very, very, uh, is a huge step which is not being contemplated by any member. And you would have to go to uh, to parliaments and to, and to, uh, and to peoples uh, to get agreement for such a, for such a step. That well, is not on the agenda. Not on the agenda, said Boris Johnson. Now, speaking to Talk Radio, the former leader of the Conservative Party, Ian Duncan Smith, uh, tended to agree with Johnson. The problem is you, if you put our aircraft up there, at some point you're going to have to shoot down a Russian plane. Yeah. And the moment that starts, <clears throat> then Russia will say that this is an attack on Russia which is what they want, and then they'll start widening their arc of combat. Now, you don't know where this man is with regards to nuclear weapons, so we've got to be slightly cautious. Of course. But, uh, you know, I feel as impotent as anybody else does sitting here, uh, desperately wanting to help the Ukrainians, but uh, my head about how much more we can do. Yes, OK. Now, Gerardo Colmón is an excellent independent journalist, and he'll be talking about this in great detail in hour two. OK, so that was Duncan Smith, so you don't want to miss that. Right, so everywhere today, no-fly zones, more from NATO countries, more pressure on, uh, calls for more pressure on the Russian government and more calls for NATO action. The Latvian president was on Sky News this afternoon, uh, speaking to Sarah Jane Mee of Sky News. His name is Arturs Karins, the president of Latvia, Arturs Karins. Um, Putin is committing war crimes he tells the presenter. Uh, but I think by all accounts, uh, this amounts to a war crime. Uh, these are targeting civilians, killing women and children, targeting housing. Uh, this is uh, uh, not acceptable by any standard. And of course, eventually, uh, Putin will have, to, uh, 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 will have to answer for the crimes he is currently committing. 
Yeah, uh, that will all play out, but let's concentrate on what's happening right now. You've seen the aerial attacks in Ukraine. Today, the Ukrainian president reiterated his call for a no-fly zone over Ukraine. You may have seen journalists asking the British Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, about that, and he said no NATO member countries are considering this as an option. Why not? Ukraine is under attack from on air, and as you said, civilians are being targeted. Well, uh, we have to remember that just in the past few days, there have been massive shifts in policy throughout Europe. Um, uh, last Thursday, for many, it was uh, not imaginable that Germany would actually provide arms or, or let other countries re-export their arms. They now are supplying arms themselves and are going to be increasing their defense spending to 2% of GDP. Uh, in the beginning, it was just the Baltics, Poland, a few other countries, of course, the UK, the US that were supplying arms to Ukraine. Now we are being joined by more and more countries. Uh, this is a very positive sign. The Ukrainians are fighting for our values, the values of freedom, democracy, and the rule of law. And Putin is fighting to recreate an empire, to subjugate a neighboring country, uh, and to stamp out democracy and the rule of law. So it is by all means, a justified fight of defense. Uh, and we in, in, in the West, in democratic countries, have a great responsibility to help them in any and all ways that we can. So financial uh, uh, help has been flowing from many, many quarters, including the entire European Union. Of course, many member states, in addition to that, countries outside of the European Union. Uh, military aid is also extremely important. What we can see that, that the Ukrainian defenders are courageous, I think, does not even come close to describing what they are doing. Yeah, it's one-way traffic on British media, Irish media, presumably. I've seen a bit of Irish media today. Can't speak for the rest of Europe, but I imagine it's the same thing. It's one-way traffic. Now, it was reported, wasn't it, overnight, that there is a 40-mile-long convoy of Russian tanks and military vehicles on a single road, which I find a bit strange. You could probably write on the back of a stamp what I know about military strategy. I'm a student of history, right? But strategies and how to place battalions, and where to move them. And Listen, I don't know anything, but I would have imagined there are more than, there is more than one road into Kiev, I would have thought. But yet they, the, the media has shown satellite photographs today of what appears to be a 40-mile-long convoy on a single road Pretty um, pretty much sitting ducks, I would have thought. I don't know what's going on there. But it appears that the Russian military machine is heading for Kiev. And it has been reported that Russia has advised people living in Kiev to leave their homes to get out. Right? And in the last 25, 30 minutes, it has been reported that a missile strike, a Russian one, has hit a TV tower in the capital, Kiev, apparently killing five people. It's so bloody difficult to understand what is going on, what is true and what isn't true. That is probably, you're saying to yourself, yeah, thanks, Richie, and in other earth-shattering news, today is Tuesday. Yeah, I hear you. But it's, uh, it's, it's very difficult to understand. A BBC radio and the commercial stations are keeping the masses here, I think, dumbed down with very cheesy debates. Have you noticed this? 
have you? Um, you know, asking listeners to phone in and opine on things like, would Putin have invaded if Donald Trump was still in the White House? Such crap. What distraction. What nonsense. Although Donald Trump supporters would probably say that Trump was for, um, he was for a cordial and a progressive, dare I use that term, the Trump was for was for befriending Vladimir Putin and working with Putin, Trump supporters will say. Um, but they're blaming Vladimir Putin and Russia for everything today. It's not only James O'Brien, and don't panic, I'm not going to subject you to any of him today at all. But it's every it's every other commercial talk show blaming Putin for interfering in elections in Europe. Elections here, elections in the United States, blaming him for climate change, blaming him for the fact that we don't take climate change seriously, is what I should say. Blaming him for Brexit, because he manipulated Facebook and tugged on our emotions and our heartstrings, and he you know, sent us all those Facebook posts about about refugees and asylum seekers and, and migrant workers. All this nonsense, it's everywhere. It really is relentless and I'm not surprised by it. But it's breathtaking, really. It's been so long, really. So Putin, 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 Putin. Eventually they'll probably blame Putin for the death of Captain Tom Moore. Remember Captain Tom Moore? Captain Tom, who walked from his back door to the end of his garden, to the shed, down to the little goldfish pond, and then back to the back door. He did that for the NHS. It only took him three months to do it. Captain Tom. They'll blame him for that. Exhume the body. You might find Novichok on the handlebars of Captain Tom's Zimmer frame. It really is that crazy. Uh, I don't know what else to say about it, really. That's why I'm looking forward to Garod O'Colmon. Now, he'll be taking a more pro- Russia stance, I don't mean pro what's happening in Ukraine necessarily, but um, he'll be seeing it from a Putin point of view, Will Garod, which will be refreshing, won't it? Because you've been subjected to everything but that. I mean, I said this on the programme the other day. There are dozens of members of Putin's government. They're quite happy to speak to, to anyone who, who wants to speak to them, but they are noticeable by their absence on BBC and Sky and ITN. You're just not hearing them. You're just not hearing them. I want to hear from you, though. It's richieallen.co.uk. That's the website. Top of the page, comment live. The time is quarter past. It is quarter past five. I'll say it. Past the hour is what time it is. Uh, The Supreme Leader of Iran, Ayatollah Khamenei. Hope I said that right. Don't want to get him, don't, don't, don't want to get on the wrong side of him. Um, he's blamed Western influences for the crisis in Eastern Europe. He said Washington's influence is the root cause of the current conflict. Uh, RT.com reporting that today and Press TV. Uh, unsurprisingly, of course, it's not any great surprise to hear an Iranian leader blame the West for what's happening in the uh, in in sorry in Ukraine. However, he's right to point out that the situation in Ukraine uh, wasn't helped by the US overthrowing Viktor Yanukovych in 2014 and putting a puppet puppet government in place. 
the part that is playing in the current crisis is important. You'll never hear that on the BBC or RTE or the others. Yeah, what else is there to tell you? Because I, I don't want to dwell too much on Ukraine here because we're going to spend most of the second hour talking about that. Uh, so, well, 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 briefly, briefly, you might be aware that YouTube has determined that if you live in the UK and other parts of Europe, you won't be able to watch Russia Today or Sputnik on that platform. So YouTube has suspended Russia Today and Sputnik on its platforms or deleted them, I'm not sure, uh, for now. I'm not quite sure whether they're gone permanently or they've just been suspended. I think RT had close to 5 million subscribers on YouTube. You can still watch it, at least you can, as... As I went on air, you can watch it on channel 511 if you've got a skybox. I think it's on Freeview as well. But for how long? How long? So if you went to YouTube today to watch RT or look at a video on Sputnik, you would have been met with a message saying this channel is not available in your country. I think Facebook has already suspended RT's accounts. I think RT might still be tweeting But don't hold me to that. They might still be. Uh, YouTube said, due to the ongoing war in Ukraine, we're blocking YouTube channels connected to RT and Sputnik across Europe, effective immediately. It'll take time for our systems to fully ramp up. Our teams continue to monitor the situation around the clock to take swift action. Now, the message is pretty clear from Google, which owns YouTube. We do not want you hearing another side of what's going on in Eastern Europe. We want to give you news about Ukraine, about Russia, from trusted sources, namely the BBC, Sky and the usual suspects, CNN, NBC and so on. It's come to pass this, hasn't it? Way before the COVID-19 scam, I warned, I warned specifically, I never shut up about it for years, is that uh, Facebook, Google, YouTube, Twitter and the others were basically becoming... And, and we're set up to be propaganda machines for the agenda. And uh, they've taken up the mantle of Orwell's Ministry of Truth. I've written extensively and talked exten- extensively about that. It's come to pass now. That's how it's going to be in the future. This is just a taster of it. There will be an official explanation, dear listener, for everything. It doesn't matter what. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be a geopolitical thing. It could be a domestic thing. It could be race relations. It could be industrial relations. It could be anything. There will be an official explanation and nothing that challenges that will be seen or will be heard. North Korea on steroids. And I've often wondered about that. I mean, that's if we take it for granted, if we take it as a given, that living in North Korea is as bad as we are led to believe it is. I think it probably is, but you have to question everything, right? That's where it's going. A couple of corporations now have the power to determine what is and what isn't true, what you get to hear and what you don't get to hear, and anyone trying to put another side of it across, well, has to be removed. And that's where we are. It's 19 and a half minutes past the hour. Uh, RichieAllen.co.uk Comment live. Dr. Jane Dunnigan will be with me momentarily. And Gerardo Colmon in our two.
Mm. Let me have a look at some of your comments there. Brambo left his bike outside Little. Other supermarkets are available. Uh, he left his bike outside Little today only to discover when he finished his shopping that the rear tyre was flat. Is there no limit to the evils of that man Putin? No, there isn't. <laughs> Seemingly not, Brambo. Seemingly not. Uh, Banjo says Russia won't be bothered about being kicked out of SWIFT. That's the international payment system. Uh, well, it'll be problematic for them, won't it? He says they have alternative methods of international payment, which they often use anyway. Russia is well prepared for all of this, regardless of what the legacy media says. They have been de-dollarizing for ages now, says Banjo. Jason Williamson says, Richie, I am amazed by the amount of people who are commenting on his social media sites. Praying for Ukraine. What about the Russian-speaking Ukrainians that live near the Russian border that the Ukrainian army has been bombing for over eight years? They haven't a clue about the Minsk, Minsk Agreements 1 and 2, says Jason. Thank you, Jason. And Bod, it might be Joanne, says if you use a VPN, it shows on YouTube. As long as you say you live in Russia or Serbia, etc. A virtual private network. That's a good call there, uh, Joe, if it is you. Uh, Clifton says, Richie, I read a book a few years ago by George Carlin. In it, he said the lives, uh, he lives life with no stake in the outcome of many, many things, including politics. When you apply that to your own life, it actually works. Everything the government tells you to do, you do the opposite. That's a good rule, he says, says Clifton. Whatever the government says, you do the opposite. No mainstream media, no Facebook, no Twitter, no newspapers. Life carries on as it did before the world of the internet. It's a circus, says Clifton. Hi to Nelly. How are you doing, Nelly? Richie, for me, there are two ways to look at this war. It's either a strategy to bring in the Great Reset Nightmare World and to keep as many folk in a state of fear and chaos, which suits the powers that be fine, or... It's a sign that the old world is crumbling and those of us that know this are in a state of hope, excitement and positivity for a more loving world based on nature, kindness, humour and all things good. Which path are you on? Asks Nelly. That's rhetorical. I'm not sure Nelly is asking me. I don't know what path I'm on, Nelly. I haven't a Scooby-Doo. But anywho, let's have a tune. When I return... I'll be joined by Dr. Jane Dunnigan. You don't want to miss her. Gerardo Colmon in the second hour. 25 minutes past the hour. That is Mika and Grace Kelly on the Richie Allen Show. Just before we welcome Jane back to the programme, thanks to Spiro Skouras for the updates. Uh, first squawk on Twitter and other accounts reporting that the European Parliament is recommending giving Ukraine EU candidate status which is kind of wrong one or wrong two on the ladder of for a nation state seeking membership of the European Union. Thank you, Spiro, for that. Well, we did talk about this yesterday. It's important, this. The Telegraph newspaper, using a freedom of information request, were able to see the minutes of SPY-M. That's the Scientific Pandemic Influenza Group on modelling. And they saw the minutes of meetings leading up to the lockdown in 2020, the first lockdown in March. And the Telegraph learned 
was that by mid-March, modellers were still uncertain of case numbers due to data limitations. Uh, this is very serious, this. People like Professor Carl Hennigan, Oxford University evidence-based medicine professor, was on the radio yesterday saying that this is inexcusable, that they went into lockdown not really having un- any understanding of whether lockdown would be would be good, would be bad, would be helpful, would be unhelpful. Um, you're not surprised by that. I'm not. And my guest this hour won't be surprised either because she was one of over 130 signatories to a letter sent to the Prime Minister last August, that's August 2021, complaining about the fact that um, lockdowns were, 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 were decided, lockdowns happened, without uh, listening to the many hundreds and thousands of doctors and scientists who said this is not a good idea. It's a real pleasure to welcome back to the programme a retired GP. She was on with us about 18 months ago. It's uh, Dr Jane Dunnigan. Jane, it's lovely to welcome you back. How are you? Oh, thank God. Well, it's lovely to be here, Richie. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, in fact, yesterday when it didn't quite work out because of technical difficulties. I was sitting here looking at Skype on my laptop while holding my mobile phone in case you needed to contact me that way. And I thought, how did we get to being like this? <laughs> That's right. And, well, and thanks for doing that, by the way. I really appreciate it. And, and also, it is hearing, it's, it's the best sound I've heard today, your voice. Because oh, thank it, you so much. No, it is. It, it, technical things, it, they don't have to happen very often here. But you can imagine independent media. We've got all the bells and whistles. What we don't have is staff and engineers, so yes. I couldn't do anything about it. But um, no, I'm thrilled you're back. It's about bloody time. You should have been back before now. You're not surprised to learn of the spy M minutes. And uh, it's important to, 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 to reference that letter you co-signed back in August, demanding that the government, you know, explained why it went into lockdown on dodgy data and not listening to all uh, the scientists and all the doctors who were saying it was wrong. So um, did you feel vindicated yesterday? Uh, no, not really, because two reasons. One is there's a lot of revisionism going on now. People saying, oh, we should have known, we should have known when people said so in advance. And actually, I think on the 3rd of April, I write an article three times a year because it comes out three times a year for the informed parent, uh, which I can only uh, encourage everyone to subscribe to. As I said, it's not my publication, but I was writing it. And I wrote something in that April saying exactly what happened, what happened subsequent to that, why it was wrong and what was going to happen. And that did happen. And back then, back in March, I wrote to my MP saying the same thing. And he basically said, well, he's a Conservative MP, not that Labour are any better. They want to, they wanted to lock us down more. Uh, and he basically said, well, I can't say anything about this because I'm not a doctor. Oh, God. And I said to him, does that mean that you don't rule on any planning issues in Parliament because you're not an architect and you don't rule on drainage things because you're not a plumber? You know, your role is not to do that. Your role is to represent me. And this is what I'm telling you. And you need to make our views Make, uh, clear to to Parliament. You don't have to agree with them, but you need to let them know what's coming from your constituents. And he never did. Um, and this is the problem, really, is that there are a lot of people who saw what was happening, but their elected representatives did not represent them. And the other people did the other things that were shown and put into place by the committee, which is uh, terrified them so that they do what they needed to do. Because Um, As all great propagandists in history have said, if you want to keep people afraid, uh, if you want to get people to do what you want, 
make them easy to control. You need to make them afraid. Do you remember those messages in April, May of 2020? Those awful bus stop advertising posters, remember? With yes. the with the horrible, almost like, they, they looked like, from a distance, they looked like advertisements for upcoming horror films in, in local cinemas. People gasping for breath with yellow eyes. And, yes. and slogans like, tell him that you're staying oh, tell home. him that you're, yeah, yeah <laughs> that you didn't keep social distancing. Yeah. I mean, when you look at some of the things that came out, I mean, in Wuhan, there were all those pictures of people just dropping down in the street. Well, that didn't happen anywhere else in the world. No. So why did it happen there? Why were we being shown pictures like that? And then we we, we saw the people dying in Italy. Well, um, I mean, it's, in Italy already, in previous years, uh, for example, the 2014 to 15 uh, flu season in the winter, there were papers being written saying, why do so many people die in northern Italy each year? It's it's a completely outside, out, it's an outside figure. It's an outlier. You know, why is this happening? And they were saying, well, it's to do with perhaps they have a very uh, large percentage of uh, people over a certain age. And also there's a high amount of pollution. But that was not allowed to cloud anyone's judgment when we saw people dying in Italy. And then in terms of the media, I mean, there were there were pictures of New York intensive care units uh, that turned out to actually have been Italian ones, but they just sort of put them in because it fitted with the story. Yeah. And I remember when it first, back in February, uh, Sir Patrick Valance, okay, he's got a history of working for drug companies. Sir, pa Sir Patrick Valance said, this is uh, an ordinary seasonal respiratory illness. What we need to do is protect the vulnerable people and let everyone get on as normal. And that was completely sensible, sage, wise prudent advice and it was completely overturned by everybody else yeah and, and his, his his partner i said i shouldn't call him his partner but well, but, but, but chris whitty there is a, yes. a piece of audio that i use fairly regularly on the program i've got it i won't i won't play it today but it's where whitty addresses the nation and waters down covid to the point it's about a 90 second clip and he waters yes. it down where he basically says look the great majority of you have got nothing to worry about here you know, yes. this is not going to kill. And and you think, wow. And then it was downgraded as a high consequence well, infectious disease, which I think we exactly. spoke about the first time you were on. Exactly. So now now Boris has said, OK, it's not an epi it's not a pandemic. It's now just endemic. But but we, that happened actually in April 2020. So it's only about almost two years ago when they actually said that. And talking about SAGE saying, well, they didn't really have very good figures and there were a lot of uncertainties. Well, one of the people who was definitely not uncertain at all was Professor Ferguson. He was 199% sure of everything and that we should lock down. Yeah. And that is what changed history, so to speak. Was that the half a million deaths? That was or? half a million, yes, and yeah. 250 uh, and something. Was it? No, it was half, yeah, 500,000 here and, uh, and uh, 2 million in America. Yeah. And, and, it, and it, yeah. Came from, uh, it came from... It came from Imperial College. And you look and see who's funding the Imperial College Epidemiological Department, and it's all the usual suspects. Yeah, the usual suspects. Yeah, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and, and Open Society. Yeah, of course. Uh, Dr. Jane Donegan is our guest, and whatever that 
a politician said, retired or not, she'll always be a doctor. She was a, 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 a very experienced doctor. And from what I was able to garner when looking into Jane before she first came on the programme 18 months ago or, or a little bit less, very respected doctor as well. I know you've had terrible press over the years, but none of it justified, but we're not, we won't get into any of that um, no. about vaccines. So it's great to have Jane back on the programme. I've got to ask you, this is the dumbest question you're going to be asked all week, but I've got to ask it, right? So we know that the UK Prime Minister has set up an inquiry which will be headed up by the Right Honourable Baroness Heather Hallett, the COVID-19 inquiry. And you'll know this, Jane, but maybe some of our listeners won't. It's now got its own website and it's uh, covid19.public-inquiry.co.uk covid19.public-inquiry.co.uk And what I'm fascinated... Here, here comes the stupid question. She has yet to publish her terms of reference for the inquiry. I wonder, will there be um, a reference in there to should we have locked down in the first place or should we have listened a bit more to the many, the legions of doctors and scientists who said we shouldn't have done it? Well, maybe, maybe I'm not asking a stupid question. Maybe she will, um, you know, consider how they came to these decisions and whether they should have listened to a wider kind of body of opinion. What do you think? Uh, well, you're actually one up on me because I don't know about this inquiry because I tend to – I have an awful lot of things I need to think about and learn and read and yeah. do. And I don't tend to uh, bother myself with things that I think are going to be a bit pointless. Um, and this enough. comes in that kind of category. In most inquiries, it's some kind of a whitewash. And I think probably they will actually look into many of these questions that you're asking now that are very good questions and not at all stupid. No, you're okay, Jane. Well, Take your time. Yeah. There we go. No, no, no. My question is not stupid. I, I think. I think. No, it's not. So, yeah, go um, ahead. But what they'll do is they'll say they'll say, well, we can see all these things with the benefit of hindsight, but you know, at the time there was nothing else that anyone could do. Yeah. And this is, I, I know some people. For example, I knew some people who didn't believe anything the press said about leaving the EU. They said it's all rubbish, they're all lying. And I must say that, you know, all these passports and so on and so forth and electronic, electronic records, they were being set up as part of EU policy in 2016. And it was, uh, it was then being uh, pushed as part of uh, making sure that everyone had uh, vaccines, uh, other vaccines, not these ones. So that was all there in the pipeline, funded by the usual suspects, uh, plus Carnegie and Rockefeller, who are also part of the usual suspects. Um, and that was all lined up. So he didn't believe any of, the, any of what was being said about that. But um, I, I saw him uh, in the park actually screaming at someone in summer 2020 because someone had come within two metres of him. Right. Because he was totally terrified that he was going to die. And, and I, what I don't understand is, and you were just talking about Ukraine, is that why people think that the media are just going to be totally untrustworthy about some things and not yeah. totally trust, untrustworthy about everything. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they've lied to us about that. But yeah. on this subject... But, we, we, oh, but everything yeah. else they say is completely <laughs> correct. Right. Really? I mean, you, you must be... I mean, you won't be blown away because you know and, and you've seen it through COVID and other issues, the, the reporting on Ukraine. I mean, I, I was lucky enough to have had some great lecturers and some great teachers... Um, yes. when, when I started out in commercial radio, it's just unsinkable to me that we would have carried on like this back in the late 90s, early noughties. I just can't. It, it, it's flabbergasting to me to see the propaganda. It's relentless, isn't yes. it? It's relentless. I'm laughing yes. because I'm shaking my head as I'm 
as I'm yeah. saying. Well, and also, some of the pictures, where you see the pictures that were on the head on the front sheets of all the newspaper, was the same picture from same 2018 picture. Yeah. in some other conflict, and just reusing things. Just rehashing and, stuff, that's right, yeah, yeah. And, and the other thing is that people can't see that where there are now mainstream newspapers actually looking at some of the injuries being caused by the vaccine, actually really sort of admitting that there are injuries and interviewing people. Um, and people are starting to go into inquiries about what's going on and we're faced with this massive economic deficit. Um, is it any? Uh, is it a coincidence perhaps that we've suddenly um, uh, entered into a war in, in Eastern Europe? So, so everybody yeah. can look at that and get very... There's a bit of, bit of wag the dog going on there, Jane, maybe, for anyone who's yes, ever seen that film, yeah. Yeah, just lets everybody go off and look at that now and we won't worry about anything else because um, we love having somebody to hate. So we've been able to hate the virus. We've been able to hate all the people who didn't socially distance or wear masks. Then we've been able to hate people who weren't vaccinated. And now we can hate the Russians. Do you, st staying with the vaccines, because this is hugely important, we've got Dr. Jane Dunnigan on the line. Do you say Dunnigan or Donnigan, Jane? I say Donnigan or Donnigan, depending or, or either or, depending on who you're talking to. Yeah, my it, father was from Dublin, so I guess he'd have said Donnigan. Yeah, he would have said Donnigan. Yeah, it would have been softer. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely yeah. right. He's a dubbier. I remember you told me that. Yeah, um, yeah. James, a retired GP, respected retired GP. You're not surprised. I know you're not surprised that after much hand wringing, which 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 was all for show, by the way, they weren't really wringing their hands in anguish, but they've decided to offer the jabs to five to 11 year olds here. I have no medical qualification or training whatsoever, but I can read and I can see the statistics. This is terribly wrong. Do you, even though you knew this was coming, is there a profound sense of sadness for you and people like you when you see this come to pass? Well, there's a profound sense of sadness that something that's going to injure anyone. And for some people, they might think, well, you know, I'm at high risk of dying from this disease and maybe I'll take this vaccine, even though even when it was being developed, uh, it was never developed to see if it actually stopped you getting the disease or transmitting it to anyone else. And uh, although they talked about 95% efficacy, it in, they didn't mention that in both the vaccinated and non-vaccinated, uh, fewer than 1% of them got COVID anyway, and a lot of the method was a bit suspect. But when it comes to children, it's just horrendous because the children are not at risk of COVID. And I know one of the things that comes up now is, oh, but children get long COVID. That's really hell, you know. Well, with all these things, post-viral syndromes, they all occur because of not managing the original feverish illness properly. Uh, and this is so I'm a recently retired GP, but I'm also uh, I've been a homeopath homeopathic physician for 30 years and I practice naturopathy and I carry on practicing. I'm just not doing um, uh, what you would call medicine. I'm not prescribing prescriptions and, and doing operations and so on and so forth. And I still lecture. But um, looking looking at uh, how people manage what they're supposed to do. For children, we've been told since 2007 not to give paracetamol and ibuprofen to stop febrile convulsions. Since 2013, we've been told give them for distress, only as long as there's distress. Uh, don't give them both together. Only consider giving the other one if the distress persists. And one of the good things that came out of COVID, if you can say something's good, is that in the emergency, so these are the nice guidelines I'm talking about. They're the guidelines that uh, people follow in the, in the UK. So in the nice guidelines that came out for a rapid emergency response for COVID in the community, it actually said for adults, it said for everybody, don't give paracetamol and ibuprofen for the sole purpose of reducing the temperature. And 
holistic people have been saying for ages, but now the guidelines are saying it too, not to do this. Because actually, overall, when you interfere with the fever, which is there for a reason, otherwise we wouldn't have it, you stop the body eliminating things. When you suppress the fever, you make all the chemical reactions in the body now run slower. So, for example, the body has a certain temperature that we stay at uh, because that's economic in terms of how much food we need to take in, metabolize, break down and get rid of. But when we need to do, uh, when we've got a fever and we need to get on and do a detox, it, it raises it because then all the enzymes that determine whether reactions occur at all or how fast they go, um, they all work a bit faster. So the liver detoxifies better, the kidney flushes better, the white cells gobble things up better. So because it requires extra energy and the body's very economic, you can be sure that if you actually get a fever, you need it. So suppress it at your peril. And one of the set things that everybody still says, despite these guidelines, is everybody says, you know, take paracetamol, take ibuprofen, take them both together, take them four hourly. And this is why people get these post-viral syndromes. That and obviously also uh, not resting long enough um, and over-exercising them, trying to get themselves back into fitness. So when they talk about this, oh, but there's long COVID, well, that's because you haven't managed the fever properly and you've told them all to take paracetamol and ibuprofen regularly, even though that is in direct opposition to the guidelines. It's counterproductive, and you're saying. Can exactly. I just can I just say on long COVID, I did yeah. mention on my own website today that John Bell, the professor of medicine at Oxford University, he told the Times in August or September last year mm. that um, he said, let me get, get the quote, he said, long COVID is more complicated than people assume. And he said the incidence is much, much lower than people had anticipated. He went on to say that it's been sli- long COVID has been slightly overblown. And when you do a proper epidemiological study on it, you find the incidence is much, much lower than people had anticipated. That was back in September. I found that really interesting because at the time we were being bombarded with all sorts of unproven theories. Well, theories, of course, are unproven, but they were making claims like... Um, COVID, they were linking COVID to everything, weren't they? COVID toes, which there's been an article yeah. about that, you know, ridiculous t- tinnitus, depression, stroke, hearing voices even, memory loss, piles. They said COVID might cause piles, erectile dysfunction and even psychosis. And again, I've no training whatsoever, but I just found all that utterly bizarre. And I, I, I haven't believed that long COVID is a is a legitimate thing, even though I'm not stupid. I know that if you have the flu or you have another virus, I know that you can be left with lingering symptoms for a while after, maybe for a good while, fatigue and stuff. I understand that. But I just felt that long COVID was another kind of scary story to push people towards the jabs. But uh, that John Bell quote was very interesting last September. Well, before there was ever COVID, you're quite correct. And before there was ever COVID, Physiotherapy departments and psychiatry departments are burgeoning and full to the brim with people who've got ME or post-viral syndrome or myalgic encephalomyelitis. And then suddenly we have all these people and they've all got long COVID syndrome. so, So obviously the people who still had the other ones from before, they're still there. But suddenly this year and the previous year, all we've got is long COVID. So what happened to all the other ones that used to fill up all the physiotherapy and psychiatric clinics? because people didn't know what to do with them. You know, where did they all go? Well, they're all, it's a bit like all the people who died. You know, they're all COVID. But anyway, that was one of the reasons they were talking about um, giving vaccines to children. Yeah. And the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation are the ones who direct the government as to and the NHS as to what they should introduce on the schedule. And they love vaccines. They really do. That's why we have so many in the schedule now. So when they say no, 
it really means no, <laughs> because they are so set up to put them in. And when they looked at the risk to children, and then back in July, they were looking at the now coming in reports about uh, myocarditis. They were saying, really, you know, children don't miss much school. They're, they're not at risk. Uh, they have a very low incidence. And we, it's not something that we think they should be having uh, the risk of the vaccine for. They said if they are in a household where someone is immunocompromised, well, then maybe they should get vaccinated for that. And a lot of things are done for that reason, even though we all know that it doesn't stop transmission or um, actually getting it yourself. So they said no. And they were totally and completely overruled by the four chief medical officers, which include Chris Whitty. They just ignored them. And in the end, why they decided to push through the vaccination, particularly of the small children, is a, not for a medical reason. It's for a social reason. Yeah. It's, it's apparently so that they'll miss less time off school. And but they there's won't no kill evidence granny. that that is the case. And someone who's much better at maths than I am uh, looked to see overall how much increased school this might cause if they were vaccinated, if the vaccine even stopped you getting ill. And the answer is about 15 minutes. Well, you have to queue up for 15 minutes to get the vaccine. Never mind. <laughs> That's right. You know, yeah, I read a report. You have to take afterwards and the time you take off school when you're not very well. And since when do we put people at such serious medical risk for a social reason? Yeah, yeah. Or that they might be living with someone who's immunocompromised, which is another terrible thing. You know, I think, again, this came up the first time we talked, this horrible idea of taking a medical treatment yourself on behalf of another person, which was, that was unthinkable, was it, Jane? Some years ago, you would never ask anyone to take a medicine in order to keep someone else healthy. I, I, I You know, I've been looking into this. It, it, it just wasn't out and about in medicine circles, was it, this, this concept? Well, it's der Vol, der Menschheit. Right. It's, it's for the greater good of humanity. We've seen it a lot of times before in various types well, of... Well, Nazi Germany and, and stuff, yeah. But, I mean, in my yeah. lifetime, this wouldn't have happened. Yeah. At least not in the UK or Ireland, anyway. Not in my yes. lifetime. But can I ask you a couple of quick fire ones, if you don't mind? Dr. Jane Dunnigan is our guest, uh, retired GP, a homeopathic practitioner as well, with uh, many years' uh, experience as well. As, as well. It's great to have Jane on. And, and unsurprisingly, yeah. bombarded with comments and questions on uh, on the website, richieallen.co.uk. A couple of quick ones. There are those who... And I respect them, even though I don't agree with them, but I respect why they believe it. Because of what has been done in the name of COVID, there are many who suspect that COVID itself might be a myth and that it's just the seasonal flu. Do you have sympathy for why people might think that? Uh, well, it's ob it is an illness and every year people get these illnesses and most of the time they're not tested and we could have been locked up every year um, for decades if we've done the testing thing that we did now. Uh, is this a worse illness than other ones? Well, if you look at the total death figures that for all deaths per 100,000, because obviously if you have a bigger population, more people will be dying, and also uh, stratified for age, because if you're 80, you're more likely to die this year than if you're 16, we hope. Um, you will see that the death rate for 2020, for which we have the figures per 100,000, is the highest in the last eight years, but not by much. It's about uh, 1,090 compared to 980 per 100,000. But it's the ninth highest in the last 20 years, back to 2001, and it's the 19th highest, back to 1990. Um, so, and I said that's total deaths, because you can't look at the COVID ones, because they're yeah. not, not reliable. Um 
And the other thing is, in terms of what's going on now, I remember, and I've only met one other person that I've said this to, because I do go on about this ad nauseum, so sorry. No, you can go on uh, all you like, go ahead. I remember in 1999 to 2000, that winter, so many people were dying that in some hospitals, there, there wasn't enough room in the mortuary to put the bodies and the NHS had to hire refrigerated lorries with the engines running in the car park to put these bodies, okay? They cancelled uh, all the nurses and doctors leave and they cancelled non-urgent surgery and there were ambulances from London going as far north as Derby to find an intensive care bed, right? Nothing was closed down. Everyone carried on as normal and no one can even remember it. And it had a higher death rate that year, much higher than in 2020, for which we have uh, figures. And people might say, oh, but it wasn't worth it that they died. But the actual deaths are nothing compared to the total economic devastation, which is probably going to push most countries in the world into all sorts of measures that would have been unthinkable uh, just two years ago because they'll have no money. That was another question I was going to ask. Well, I was going to ask about vaccine injuries and yellow card reporting systems and stuff. But what I wanted to um, to ask you, with your clinical experience, does anyone really have any real idea of, or will we have to wait still and see the 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 impact on 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 public health of lockdowns themselves of the three lockdowns we had? I mean, I mean, it sounds like you fear it's going to be pretty awful in the coming years, mental health issues, other issues, uh, suicide uh, brought on by poverty, um, worthlessness, no no work, no employment, that sort of stuff. You see it as being pretty bad in the coming years. Well, just looking, just looking at the money side, that's going to be pretty bad. And we know what really kills people is poverty. So that's going to kill a lot of people. Plus these children. I mean, I still see people. Um, I see young children and uh teenagers out of school walking home in the park and they've got masks on yeah and i'm thinking you're in the park it's raining you know really why are you doing this what is it at school that's made you think that that's what you need to do what is it that your parents have been telling you what is it that the media has been telling you and there's all these small children now who see themselves as disease carriers who are going to make granny die so what does that do for your self-esteem yeah, I see it here. I'm in Salford, not far from Media City. It's busy. It's a busy place. Yeah, I see the youngsters wearing them, walking to school. There's four or five primary schools and secondary yeah. schools in my district. And yeah, it's awful. I, I still see young adults. I think they're young anyway, driving towards Media City down Langworthy Road, Salford, Jane. And they're in the yeah. car on their own, Jane. And they're masked up. Yeah, and they're masked, yes. And the windows are closed. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. yeah, so so we've done a real number on that. And plus, the, the mouth is, is a really large form of part of our expression. And young children learning about uh, so, social matters, you know, they look at the mouth, they look at where the words come out, they learn how to form the words. They're, they're not thinking, I must look at the word. It just happens naturally, because that's what we do as human beings. That's how we learn things. And we've had these mouths uh, kept hidden for such a long time. And one of the things that I think is really, really hypocritical is that there are countries like France who ban the expression of any type of religious object on you. And they, you know, they've really penalised uh, uh, Muslim women by not allowing them to to cover up any part of their face if that's, that's right. what they want to do religiously. Yeah. But they've instituted fines. They instituted fines for, for these same women who, if they weren't wearing a mask, at the same time, there would be a fine 
for those same women if they were wearing their religious garb. It's vaudeville, is what it is. It's, well, it uh, would be funny. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is yeah. quite funny. You have to laugh. You have to well, laugh. Well, if you don't, you're going The yeah. alternative is, uh, you know, like uh, the pit. <laughs> my um, my partner, um, Caroline, is French. And when this all kicked off, her father, um, or maybe it was one of her aunts, or one of her aunts, I should say, I should pronounce my aunt, I should say aunt, um, was subjected to a drone telling her to get indoors. And she, she, really? she yeah, she, this is way back now, March, mm. April 2020. And that, that's a Blade Runner scene, that. I mean, yes. for a drone to be shouting at you. And yes. uh, it occurred to me, well, give it a couple of years and the, the drone will be armed somehow with the, with the ability to incapacitate the refusenik. So the drone says, get indoors, Jane. And you say, no, thanks. I'll continue to sit outside with my neighbour, chin wagging over a tea. And next thing you get jolted with a stun gun or something. I mean, some of the things that have gone on, and I've been speaking to men and women who've written books, interesting men and women, over the years, the ones you don't hear on the mainstream media, um, yes. who, who warned of, of this lurch to dystopia towards the end yeah. of, you know, the end of 20, the, the, the 2019, 2020, and even further on to 2030. And I'm, 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 I'm shaking my head sometimes. I have to ask you, I, I, I hear from people, some of them, again, they're... they're clever, they're good at analysing data and they say, Richie, I've looked at the, the, the gov.uk yellow card data and Richie, I'm telling you, these jobs are doing an inordinate uh, amount of harm to people. They're really hurting people and they may be killing hundreds of people, these jabs, you know, every three or four months. Um, and I, I suppose that the devil's advocate question would be, look, we, we would expect that the commercial media, the mainstream media wouldn't report on that. But even still, how is that not getting to the public consciousness if the jabs really are doing so much harm, you know? Uh, because the side effects are very, 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 very rare and because there's been rigorous analysis of all of them and the, the benefit is still in the direction of having the vaccine. That's what the MHRA says. And this is the MHRA who, who collect in the yellow cards who haven't done one single published analysis of any of the data that they are collecting since they started collecting the yellow cards for the COVID vaccine. How can they get away with that, Jane? How can uh, they get away well, with not doing and, it? And the other thing they say is, anyway, and it's very true, none of the adverse reactions that are being reported, whether they're injuries or death, none of them show causally that it's the vaccine. So most of them are probably not. And there were several people who wrote in saying, could you give us the risk-benefit analysis that you went through to show that all these reports or the majority of them are not caused by the vaccine. And several people did this. I wasn't one of them. I didn't get round to it. Anyway, several people did this and they got a reply back from the freedom of information people saying, um, thank you for your inquiry. We, we are not responding to it because it's vexatious. And we know it's vexatious because so many people have been asking us this. Right. So you'd think that if so many people had been asking you, then it would be very easy to send out a standardised letter back saying what the answer is. I saw one. That, that's really that's really interesting. That vexatious. That's I didn't. Vexatious. I did, I didn't just know asking. That. How can you be sure? You, so tell me the risk benefit analysis you did to show that these aren't real. Uh, connected yeah. to the vaccine adverse reactions. I saw analysis by a gentleman who uh, is based in Ireland, who has his name escapes me a history of analysing data. And he was he was asked by, by someone to look at 
the UK yellow card um, reporting. And I think he said that it's fair to to imagine that the jabs may have caused or being, the, the jabs may have partially caused or may have been some part of 2,000 deaths in mm-hmm. the UK to date. I mean, if that's, I mean, this is the biggest scandal in, in my lifetime. I'm not old enough for, um, for, um, what thalidomide. Was th- th- thank you, Jane, you saved me there, thalidomide. But this, <laughs> if, it, if it's 2,000, at least. Yes. Um, and would you, would you say, yeah, that's possible? Definitely. Now, uh, one thing I will say to you, I know your, uh, your audience is in lots of different places, but if you are in the zone where you can send in yellow cards, you don't have to have a doctor or a nurse doing it. Human beings can send in yellow cards. You just put yellow card um, uh, reporting and if it and when you get to the site, you'll click the site, uh, click the, the link and you'll get to a site. And they've actually got a special dedicated bit for COVID-19, which is a different form to how you report other ones. So, so many people have had doctors and nurses refuse to send these in. And the first thing I will say to them is do it yourself. Send it in yourself. That's what you need to do. Now, although they haven't done any uh, anal- analysis at the um, MHRA, even when they do, and this was very obvious with the HPV vaccine, is that when you have something wrong with you, you it comes in a syndrome. It's usually more than... So if you have a few symptoms together, they become a syndrome, Okay. So say, for example, you had um, encephalopathy. So you might have a headache, you might have a fever, you might have had a bit of a stiff neck, you might have a bit of uh, altered consciousness or fatigue. So that's how you'd look up. So you should be able to look at those and think, well, that might be a case of encephalopathy. So the encephalon's your brain and the pathy bit means you've got some illness with it. Well, so what they do is they put, they put headache in the headache column, they put fever in the fever column, they put neck stiffness in the neck stiffness column and they put altered consciousness in the altered consciousness column because that's why they often say, well, we've got this many reports and then they say there's many more symptoms. And when you've got them just in a headache column, that's never going to tell you that there's encephalopathy or encephalitis coming up because they've actually sort of airbrushed it out by separating it out into its constituent components. And they don't allow the data to be released. So you so nobody can really do it properly themselves. They can just look at these figures. But n- nobody's got access to the actual yellow card reports anonymized. So they could actually really use the data themselves because yeah. then they'd find some real things. And that's not likely to happen. We've got um, about two minutes left, Jane. It's flown by. Thanks for coming on today. I hope it won't be as long Pleasure. before you come back. You come back anytime you want. <laughs> Thank the, you. The, 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 the question I suppose we'll, we'll finish with is, at the moment... Um, if we leave what's happening in Ukraine to one side, which is obviously worrying, regardless of what people's geopolitical stances are, it's not great, the idea of anybody dying, no matter where they come from. But if we leave yeah. that to one side, there are those who say, oh, it's great now, you know, Johnson has basically removed the legal restrictions. It looks like it's happy days again. We're coming into spring. And not only Boris Johnson, but Michael Gove and others have said, well, you know, we, we won't be going back to lockdowns again because we have the jabs and they've done their jobs. So there are those who think that we're at the end of this, but I don't believe it, Jane. How, how, well, how do you feel about it? I think it's a bit like Stockholm Syndrome. You know, you get kidnapped by somebody, they totally degrade you till you have no essence of yourself left at all. And then they give you a sweetie and you go, oh, thank you so much. I love you. Yeah. <laughs> And that's what it's like here. Well, he's giving us back our rights. 
he never had any right to take them away in the first place. We have inalienable rights, which were illegally taken away. And then we thank people for giving them back. So, no, this is just part of a process and the electronicization of um, health and us and everything we do is another part of it. And how it's going to end up, I don't know. But I've spent two years saying to people um, that um, I think what's going to save us in the UK is good old British inefficiency. Because <laughs> we can't even make the trains run on time. No, that's another one. Don't get started with that. 3% <laughs> hikes today. You know, some people have to work seven weeks to pay for their season ticket. Uh, yeah. That's another subject. Jane is uh, a retired GP, Dr. Jane Dunnigan, and a, a very experienced homeopathic practitioner. Jane, is there a resource? Is there somewhere where you can be found online so people can read up more or at least say hello to you or see some videos? Is there anywhere you're online at the moment? Uh, yes, if you put my name, J-A-Y-N-E, and then put L-M, Donegan, because there's a few other Jane Donegans that aren't me, um, into your uh, search engine of choice, you'll find me. And if you put my name and Eventbrite uh, into your search engine, you'll find my lecture page on Eventbrite. And you can also contact me through that. Thanks very much, Jane. If I give you a shout in, in, in a few weeks to come back on, I hope you'll come back on. We might do a little bit longer because if we do, we can throw it open to listeners' questions. If you do go onto my website later on, you'll see how many comments have come in there. It's a real pleasure to connect with you and thanks for your patience yesterday. It oh, means a lot to me. My pleasure and thank you so much for inviting me and I look forward to uh, chatting with you again. Thanks, Jane. It was my pleasure. God bless you too. Uh, the terrific Dr. Jane Donigan, uh, retired GP and very, as I said, very experienced homeopath homeopathic practitioner giving us her thoughts on uh, on COVID and non-COVID and lockdowns of course and, and jabbing children and much more. Besides if you missed any of Jane, this programme is uploaded to podomatic.com 20 minutes after the end. You'll get it on iTunes, Spotify and whoever provides you with your podcast ordinarily. Thank you so much to Jane. How cool is Jane? I think Jane is very cool personally. Listen, Mark Boyerski is an amazing guy. He has for the last week been selling his ebooks and audiobooks on markboyerski.com. Everyone that he sold, he's given all the proceeds to uh, the Richie Allen show, which is a lovely thing. He's also put he also put everyone's name into a draw uh, to win a Maldivite crystal, which is a very expensive, very beautiful thing, and I can say that the winner is a gentleman called Tim Andre Semelinge, I think. Roij. I think it's Tim Andre Roij. Uh, I hope I pronounced that right, Mark. Uh, Tim Andre Roij. He won the crystal. And uh, seven runners up will receive another crystal, a different crystal. Seven runners up. He's made a video, which you'll see on YouTube.com. Go to YouTube.com. Look for Mark Boyerski. And again, thanks to him and his staff who stayed back after hours today to help with uh, the volume because there were so many people entered that. And it's a big help to uh, the Richie Allen Show at a time when obviously support for programmes like this is uh, waning. Waning because people have got their own, their own problems. Uh, financial problems with everything that's happening with the price of utility bills going up the price of putting petrol and diesel in your car and I totally understand that and this is the reason why I very rarely and I don't uh, solicit support because I understand how difficult it is for people Uh, I really do thank you to Mark I appreciate that coming up in uh, less than a couple of minutes we'll be joined by none other than 
uh, Gerard O'Colmon. I really like him. He's an Irishman and he's not been on the programme for quite a long time. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. Yes, Gerard is next after this from Johnny Nash. A little bit of Johnny Nash. I can see clearly. I can't really, but anyway, there you are. I can see clear. It's gonna be bright. Johnny Nash and I can see clearly now. It's uh, coming up to eight minutes past the hour. It's uh, your Richie Allen show live from BBG Towers here in Salford in the northwest of the UK. Lovely to hear from Jane Dunnigan again. Dr. Jane, uh, voluminous comments, lots of comments on richieallen.co.uk. Uh, also, lots of excitement about my next guest who's not been on with me for a long time. No good reason for that. I'm very fond of him, not just because he's an Irishman living in France, and I have a lot of time for France, but he's an excellent writer and broadcaster. Just before we welcome him back to the show, it has been reported this afternoon that a Russian missile has blown up a television tower in Kiev this afternoon. We talked about this in the monologue. You will know that today... The Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, reiterated his call for a no-fly zone over Kyiv, uh, presumably, well, obviously policed by NATO countries' war planes. Boris Johnson, the UK Prime Minister, said, no, we can't be doing that because it could put us in direct uh, conflict with Russian planes. The propaganda has been relentless, I can say that, you know... uh, Listen, we try to be balanced. It's absolutely relentless. You will know that YouTube has kicked off RT and it's also kicked off Sputnik. I know you will know this by now. Uh, It's happened in Australia as well. How long before Ofcom, which uh, regulates broadcasters here in the UK, decides to get rid of RT as well? These are the things that North Korea would have been derided for. Uh, over the years, these types of things. Listen, let's uh, welcome back uh, Gerard O'Colmon. Now, Gerard um, is a very, very experienced uh, writer. In fact, you may have seen Gerard appear on RT in the past. He is a columnist these days with Al Mayadeen English. He's doing that right now. Uh, he's a freelance, though, and you'll read his articles in in many places. Uh, he's uh, got a book out. We won't talk so much about that today, but we will make time for him to talk about it in a very uh, in the very near future. Let's um, talk about Russia and Ukraine with him. It's a real pleasure to welcome back Gerard O'Colmon. Gerard, it's been too long, my friend. How are you? Welcome back. How are you doing? Thanks. Uh, yeah, it's been far too long. Um, great to talk again. Yes, um, Russia is um, he's back in the news, obviously, and uh, things are, are, are getting very, very tense. There's a lot of things to, to say about this because it's this is a complex issue. Um I think uh, the West obviously are responsible for the problem in the first place uh, because of uh, NATO policy since the fall of the Soviet Union and the violation of the accords that they made with the Soviet Union uh, before the dissolution of the Soviet Union, uh, where they promised that uh, NATO would not expand to the East. Um, and uh, they did. You know, I remember having a conversation myself with the former Prime Minister of East Germany, uh, who went to Gorbachev and uh, got the assurance, and he told me that himself, that he got the assurance that uh, you know, that if he was in negotiations with the West, that the West would not, uh, would not move East. And so 
this was something that all of the uh, Eastern Bloc countries at the time were worried about because of NATO expansionism. And, uh, you know, Gorbachev was very much responsible for the dissolution of the Soviet Union because uh, he, he weakened the economy, he liberalized the economy so much that he allowed a group of oligarchs to take over Russia. Uh, Vladimir Putin comes from the Gorbachev circle. Uh, you may recall that uh, before the dissolution of the Soviet Union, uh, there was a coup attempt against uh, Gorbachev by hardliners in the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. And they were uh, basically calling Gorbachev a traitor to the Soviet Union, that he was selling the country out and that he was going to lead, that his reforms were going to lead to the breakup of the Union. Well, that happened. The coup failed uh, and Yeltsin took over and sort of Putin emerged out of that chaos that was left after Yeltsin. Now, the West loved Yeltsin because... He basically ran the country, uh, well, didn't run the country, basically, and sort of left, uh, uh, you know, a group of, uh, allowed a group of oligarchs to take over the country. And, you know, by the mid-90s, you had a situation where the former Soviet Union was breaking up. Putin, in one of his articles, calls it a parade of sovereignties. Um, all of the former republics seceded and went their own way. And uh, a group of oligarchs, pretty much confiscated all of the uh, the oil and the riches and the wealth of the country. And you had massive, uh, massive poverty, massive inequality and corruption and crime and so on. Putin emerged out of that chaos and sort of uh, Russia began to stabilize under his leadership. And that was when West began to attack Russia again uh, with the war in Chechnya, uh, where uh, the British and the Americans were very much behind uh, an attempt to pull Chechnya away from the Russian Federation. And then you had, um, of course, uh, the war in Yugoslavia, uh, where, which was a war essentially against Russia. It was NATO's attempt to uh, break up Yugoslavia into, into separate republics that would be divided between uh, Germany and the United States. In particular, uh, the Germans were very active in the Yugoslav war. It was the first overseas war uh, that the Germans were involved in since the Second World War, and they pretty much, they pretty much, kind of repeated the policy of the Third Reich, which was to support uh, Muslim extremist groups, uh, and that led to major genocide in 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 former Yugoslavia. Uh, the Serbs were blamed there for everything uh, because Serbia essentially was the most pro-Russian uh, uh, nation in former Yugoslavia. And Serbia got bombed. That finished with the bombing of uh, Serbia in 1999, which was the first major humanitarian bombing. The bombing was, was launched as a humanitarian operation. And so we had the beginning of a consensus around the idea of humanitarian uh, bombing. And, um, you know, the Western oligarchs, uh, you know, their position really was that, you know, the West is civilized. Russia is uh, barbaric. And therefore, the West has a kind of a duty to bomb countries uh, to sort of protect them from themselves. And this became the new consensus that grew up around, uh, you know, what's called humanitarian bombing, which really basically just involves sending armed gangs into countries to commit atrocities and then blaming those atrocities on the regime on the uh, in place that's yeah. trying to protect itself. Yeah. And so that becomes a new paradigm of international relations from Yugoslavia. It's repeated in Libya in 2011, uh, and again in in Syria, and now we're in since 2014, we're in a long war in Ukraine where uh, 
again, uh, NATO, through its expansionism, was simply replacing pro-Russian uh, regimes in Eastern Europe since the fall of the, uh, the Soviet Union. And they attempted to overthrow the government. They, they overthrew the government in 2004 with the Orange Revolution, which was a U US-backed color revolution where they used highly sophisticated uh, uh, revolutionary techniques that had been developed by, uh, by NGOs such as Freedom House and um, the Einstein Institute uh, to in America and uh, many other NGOs basically where they would use people power to overthrow the government. And that became a kind of a model that was repeated all over Eastern Europe, uh, what became known as color revolutions. And so that often involved sending snipers into a country. So you basically, uh, you have mass demonstrations. Then you have a situation where snipers will shoot the demonstrators and also shoot the police so that the police don't know who's shooting and it forces the police to perhaps open fire. And once that happens, then you, ha you have a situation where atrocities are committed uh, on all sides. And, um, you know, that, that was how the war in Syria was started. It was started by um, armed groups basically going across the border into the, uh, into the southern town of, the, of Dera and uh, shooting the police. About eight police officers were killed on the first day. And then that was blamed. Uh, the, the violence was blamed on the regime. And that was, the, that was how they got the war going. And this is uh, essentially... What happened in 2014 is that there was an, another color revolution attempt. This time it became more violent. Um, the Yanukovych regime wanted to uh, basically uh, maintain good relations with Russia. I mean, we'll come to in a second uh, what Ukraine is. Ukraine, in my view, is Russia. I mean, if you know anything about the history, that's what Ukraine is. It's historic, it's historic Russia. Um, but Yanukovych wanted to maintain relations, good relations with Moscow, uh, not join NATO, not join the European Union. And uh, through American pressure, uh, he was ousted. And that led to uh, violence from 2014 to today. Uh, a violent regime based in Kiev, which is basically being sort of fabricated by the West and which is uh, based on pseudo history, uh, Russian, anti-Russian hatred, uh, bigotry, and the extolling of uh, war criminals like um, the uh, Bandera, Stefan Bandera, who was a major collaborator with the Germans in the Second World War, uh, Simon Petliura, who collaborated with the Poles previously. Uh, these were all people who uh, really hated Russia and were pro-West. And so the Germans and the Poles, um, Lithuanians, have been working uh, to sort of... Uh, stoke the flames of anti-Russian sentiment in Ukraine for a long time, backed by the United States and Europe, of course, the European Union. And so the whole idea was to uh, put in an anti-Russian regime. And that led to a breakaway in the south with uh, Donbass, the Donbass region, where uh, they did not want to be governed by these uh, people who are obviously against them. And uh, they've been shelling and bombing and committing atrocities against them since 2014, the bombing, the Atrocities such as burning people alive in, in buildings that uh, was committed in, uh, in May in 2014 in, in Odessa, the Odessa massacre where um, workers in the local um, union house uh, were locked in there and burnt alive. Um, that wasn't even reported in the Western press. And when it was reported, 
Um, it was in France, for example, there was one TV station that did report it later and they were criticized by all the press for reporting it. I mean, that's just an example of how evil the press is generally. You don't have to tell me. Can I, can I come in here? Because I've got to come in here. It's 19 minutes past the hour. Gerardo Colmón is our guest. I don't disagree with any of that. How could I? Because it's true. Your explanation of how the colour revolutions worked, um, absolutely bang on. You could have talked about the Arab Spring in that context as well. You are 100% right. Everything you said about what happened in 2014 in Ukraine is absolutely bang on. We all heard the tapes. Uh, Victoria Newland, um, Obama's Eurasian Secretary, Yats is our man. This was absolutely... Uh, it's bang on what you said it's 100% accurate I can't challenge it there will be listeners expecting me to jump in and challenge it but I can't because Garrod is right this is how it happened they replaced Yanukovych with a puppet um, administration he had offers on the table Yanukovych he had money on offer from Russia that was coming with no strings he had he had money coming from the EU if he wanted it but it had multiple strings and of course the United States but he favoured as you said good relations with with, uh, Russia I think at one time the United States was sending 20 million dollars a week uh, to fund this this ultra right ultra nationalist um, group of gangsters you know behind the so called Maidan revolution you're absolutely right to say all of that none of that is untrue you might think there's a but coming maybe there is a but coming the fact there is, be. there's always a but. There's always a but, yeah. <laughs> but you know what it is? I, I haven't travelled travelled around Europe as as a, as a tourist and living in in Europe for some years and speaking to people as a journalist. I, I've never met anyone who lived under the Soviet Union in Poland or Romania or Czechoslovakia who had any time for it, who had any time yeah. for communism. So just just park that for one side. And when I announced you were coming on, you're far more widely read than maybe even you realise. I, I had a, a raft of emails today from people who said, and this is genuine, I'm not making this up, this is what the BBC does. They lie and say, well, we've heard from people. I genuinely have heard from people, maybe a dozen, maybe less, who say, Richie, I'm a Ukrainian, I live in Ukraine. I know what Gerardo Colmón is going to say to you later on, but, but I'm telling you this, um, I've no time for Russia. Um, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want the Ukraine to be part of Russia. I don't want to be under the Putin regime. And they were telling me today that more than two-thirds, at least, of Ukrainians don't want to have anything to do with Russia. And that, no matter what we might think, that's you and me, that tanks rolling down uh, streets, you know, 40 miles in, in, in length, if we believe that satellite photograph, and the shelling of cities by the Russian military, knowing that those shells probably will hit people, you know, ordinary men and women, that's absolutely wrong, and there's no justification for it. Whatever Putin's, and I should say that I should call him the Russian president because this isn't the BBC. Whatever his grievances might be, the genuine ones with NATO expansion and puppet regimes in Kiev, he shouldn't be doing this. This is right. wrong. Well, what I would say about this is, first of all, um, I'm not a fan of Putin. I've been writing, been critical of Putin since at least 2016, uh, and this is the reason why I tried to give a sort of um, an overview, which is again only, I didn't want to go into too much detail here because oh, it was good, it was very good and important. I, I want the reason why I started with the Soviet Union is to sort of uh, and, and to criticize Putin actually rather than to praise him. So, I'm, in many respects, I'm here to bury Putin rather than to praise him. Um, I, 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 Putin emerged, uh, I, just to go back to what I was saying about Gorbachev, Gorbachev. Regardless of the pros and cons of the Soviet Union, I mean, you hear people who praise the Soviet Union, people who are against it. 
But the uh, the reality is that all of the Russian savings uh, were confiscated by a group of wealthy oligarchs. Most of them were Israelis. They had they basically have Israeli citizenship. So these Jewish oligarchs take over the country after the fall of the Soviet Union, um, and you know thing, things get out of control. Okay, life gets very very difficult. Things don't really improve, um, and uh, essentially what happens is Putin emerges from the Gorbachev faction. So, you know, I, I mentioned already that Gorbachev, people in Russia want to try Gorbachev for treason. Uh, Russia emerges from this, from the KGB, um, and sort of, re, you know, just sort of works through this corruption and eventually gets to be the leader of the country. Now, um, from, you know, in terms of the global situation here, we'll come back to Ukraine in a second, but, you know, Putin... Um, a lot of Western elites have a lot of respect for Putin. People like Kissinger is close to Putin. Uh, uh, Jacques Attali, who is the Kissinger of France in many respects, the guy who created several French presidents and Macron, uh, an, uh, an extremely evil man, uh, has actually expressed admiration for Putin. Uh, so uh, the reason I mention this is that, you know, we, we know that Putin was a member of the, uh, the World Economic Forum. Yeah. Uh, Klaus Schwab has expressed admiration for him. And so, you know, the big question about Putin is whose side is he on and what kind of, what is he trying to do? Uh, what is his role? Uh, during the lockdown the last two years, we've experienced the worst tyrannical regime in the history of the world, uh, for, you know, on a global level. It's never been anything like it. No. And uh, Putin has been very much, uh, I haven't, really seen any criticism from him none and uh, it's it's so he's been you know very very unimpressive as anything like uh, you know as someone who's standing up to the new world order there are, so there's a lot of putinophilia on the internet and a lot of putinophobia i'm trying to work through both which is the reason why i kind of outlined the historical aspect here because there's a suspicion uh in some quarters that putin uh was put in power by these themselves Remember, there were uh, olig some oligarchs were against Putin. Because right, Garot has just momentarily dropped out there. He was saying that some oligarchs were against Putin. Let's see, can we get the line back? This is fascinating stuff. This is where I knew uh, this terrific writer would take this. Who is Vladimir Putin really? And what agenda is he playing to? Um, Garot, is still there? No, he's not. Right. Ah, God, that's like a cliffhanger, that, isn't it? Uh, he's offline momentarily. It's, it's, it's not a technical issue here. Don't worry about it. You've been listening to Garrod O'Colmon. He's an Irishman living in Paris, married to a French lady. They have a lovely daughter. He's a terrific writer. His byline has been... You will have read his byline many, many online. He used to do the International Herald Tribune for many years from Paris. He's writing these days for Al Mayadeen. I'm going to try and get him back on now, amongst other places. He's got a website too. I'll give you the website details. You can read more about him. Darn this now, I think. He's got issues his end. Oh, well. It might be a week like this, you know. It might be a week of it. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take a very quick tune and ask him to give us a shout back when he's back online. I don't have a tune lined up. <laughs> because why don't you? Why don't you? Because I'm in Egypt. 
Uh, yeah, that's that's it. In, in a nutshell, because I'm an idiot. Here are, or here is, here are the Saw Doctors. Right, we'll, we'll leave the Saw Doctors. God bless them. And we'll Am rejoin. Garoge, you're back. You're back in the room. Oh, that, that, that must have been, I don't know, there must have been some interference there from power, powerful people. But anyway. You were uh, saying um, some oligarchs don't I, I or didn't like that, Putin, I, you were just saying. Just to finish a long, to try and make a long story short, yeah. just what I'm getting at here, is that... Um, Putin's a complex character. You know, I'm not a fan at all of Putin. And I'd say that um, I, I don't really know what to make of him or what his role is, because everything, I, as you say, I described, I think is, you know, it's true, right? It's it's true. And it's I'm, I'm painting broad brushstrokes yeah. to describe the situation. Right? But there is another side to the story. And uh, I'm describing here the role of the oligarchs who are around Putin. You know, like there are many, many Israeli oligarchs who are around Putin. Putin is not an anti-Zionist. So there's a contradiction in the Middle Eastern policy because he's supporting Assad. He's supporting the Iranians to a certain extent. Um, you know, he's in geopolitical alliances that are With China. important. Uh, you know, I do think that Assad is on the right side of history in Syria. Me too. But, and, uh, you know, uh, the Iranians as well in, in their defense of their national sovereignty against the United States and so on, but and Israel. But, you know, so this is, nonetheless, Putin is very close to Israel. So I just want to make that clear. And, you know, what, what is his role? I mean, there are things about Putin that really frighten me. Like, for example, um, during the Cold War, it was said that Putin may have been a British, uh, a British asset. You know, this was, uh, this accusation was made against Gorbachev, that essentially the British, and it was a, uh, you know, in Russia, they were discussing this because of what Thatcher had said about Gorbachev as being our man in, yeah. in the Union. And, um, you know, that, that again, that, I was kind of, that's the reason why I mentioned the coup against Gorbachev. You know, Putin supported Gorbachev. And at the same time, Putin, in a very impressive essay, which he, he wrote recently, and again, it's, it's, very, it's worth reading on unity of the Ukrainian and Russian peoples. You know, he, it's, he describes, uh, I think, very well the Russian position. It's very coherent, and you can't really argue with it, in my view. Um, nonetheless, uh, you know, Putin emerges from this kind of milieu that I, that I would suggest was very corrupt. And uh, there is a suspicion that he may even have been a, uh, an asset of, of the British himself. Um, there are other things that scare me about Putin, like, for example, accusations of pedophilia. Um, there's a, I don't know if you've seen a video of him kissing a boy on the tummy, but that's the scariest, this probably right. the weirdest, most disturbing thing I've ever seen. This is new to me. Uh, this is news to me. This stuff yeah. about him being a British well, asset uh, and pedophilia. Go on YouTube and see if you can, or yeah. go on one of the, the free shoot, bitch shoot or somewhere. It's something yeah. I, I remember seeing and kind of like, it just, I, it, it just disturbed me. It's, it's, it's even scarier than the stuff that you see on Biden doing, you know, and there's lots of it. There's a lot more of and that's Biden's bad stuff. Use. Like, so you said, cause, cause you, you and I have discussed in the past and, and we know that um, people are kept in line by being compromised through things like what, what Epstein was probably doing um, yeah. working for maybe Mossad, maybe other intelligence agencies setting people up. That's fascinating that because yeah, there that, is a suspicion yeah. as well. And again, these are suspicions, although that video is real and Putin did, I mean, because people were worried about this. Like, why are you, uh, lifting up a, a child's uh, T-shirt and kissing him on the belly—it's like it's In the public. weirdest thing. I, I mean, I know the Russians they used to men used to kiss. In the, they used to kind of things that were weird, and I was kind of thinking, is this some kind of Russian tradition or something? But uh, no, it wasn't. The Russians were 
very worried about this. And then he actually didn't deny it. So it's not just some Photoshop thing on the internet because he, he was asked about it. And then he, his response was even weirder, you know? Uh, it's, 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 it's like, he's like, oh, he looked like a kitten or something. I was like, so, you know, mm. these, now the reason I mentioned that is for, first of all, that, that video exists, you know, and it sort of would suggest that he may have been part of a network, you know, an international network, because it was said, you know, some, some uh, sources did say that he was, uh, that he was involved in Israel at this time and that he went underwent training, as you mentioned, the Mossad, um, you know, uh, again, Israel is kind of important here because it's this huge power that has sort of access to all the other powers. You know, the Israelis have access to the United States. They have access to the Russians. They're not on. They're not against Russia since this operation in Ukraine. Um, and so, they, you know, they're they're quite close to the Chinese. Um, so again, I just want to put that out there. I'm not a fan of Putin. At the same time, I think there's the other on the other side. There's the sort of uh, infantile Putinophobia, you yeah, know, where yeah, yeah. just um, Putin is sort of responsible for everything, and and Putin wants to take over the world, kind of thing. Now that's the sort of mainstream media line that people are being fed. It's worse than that, Garod. It's worse yeah. than that. I've been listening. One of the things I do for the show, uh, for for the monologue segment of the show, is listen to some of the big, um, not the big players, but the ones with the. Uh, you know, with the, what do we say, primetime shows. You've got guys like James O'Brien, London School of Economics, by the way, LBC, blaming Putin for the fact that we don't buy climate change. He's the, he's the reason we don't believe in climate change. Blaming him for Brexit, blame, blaming him for Trump, all this sort of nonsense. It goes from the sublime to to the ridiculous. What you're doing today is fantastic. It's opening uh, the minds of my Putin listeners. Is that, you know, he hasn't been such an, an opponent. He hasn't been an opponent in the new world order. I mean, he's That's very much uh, someone who has been proposing another world order. And they've mentioned that, you know, several times, a new world order. But there's there's two possible world orders here. And it seems to me that there's two possible camps. Now, you know, I, I want to come just after when, once we kind of get, get through this here, and to respond to kind of your, your your legitimate concerns by Ukrainians, and I want to mention that, but I want to get sort of to more of the uh, the mystical side of this, mystical possibilities of, of this, just before I finish. But um, you know, to to come back to um, to Putin and uh, you know his his role, uh, it, it, it is complex, you know, and I think that um, you know the, the the I don't I wouldn't trust. Putin at all. I think that, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's, in many respects, he's doing now what the West, what, what certain oligarchs in the West want, which is for a war to happen. Now, if you look at the moves in the chessboard, the West, obviously, NATO has pushed this, they've been pushing it. But, you know, at the same time, if they get a world war, which could happen out of this, I mean, um, the Russians would be forced to react if NATO provoked them anymore. If they start, uh, you know, if they start full-scale military operations, now they're going to use a proxy war. Now, if Putin does react, which in a way he'll be forced to, um, then you will have a world war scenario. If you have a world war scenario, in a way, it's pretty much the chaos before the order of the new world order, you know. And I think it's probably the necessary, the last step towards bringing in absolute tyranny. We're not in absolute tyranny yet. We've, we've we're getting we've kind of gone through the prelude, if you like. Yeah. We're now coming into the main 
the main uh, the main show i think with this uh, and you know this is going to promote this is going to provoke famine uh, food shortages already a third of the grain supplies uh, in russia are being diverted uh, the third of the world's grain supplies are being diverted the chinese are, are going to benefit from this but there's going to be major shortages in europe so i think you know it's not just ukraine that will get hammered here it's all of europe uh, germany france you know the french are now uh, basically asking young men to go to ukraine to fight uh, they're promoting the ukrainian embassy in paris have a notice on their on their door you know um, anyone who wants to come and fight basically for us uh, is welcome to come. come and sign up. And so the, the media are starting to promote that here, the idea of, you know, this 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 war, this crusade against Russia. And uh, again, of course, you know, playing on fake heroism. We saw that with the vaccine agenda, you know, like doing your bit in the war, being step, stepping up and this whole thing. Um, so people are being fed on this psychotic, uh, this psychotic media campaign here. Which really is all about escalation, escalation, escalation. Uh, same here, Garod. Can I, can I, can I quickly jump in? Can I quickly jump in? Yeah. Um, we're seeing it here. Obviously, you know that Foreign Secretary Liz Truss told BBC on Sunday that if people want to leave here and go to Ukraine, they should do. But she was slapped down by um, Number Ten. What, what, what I could sum up what what I think has been happening for a number of years uh, in 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 twenty five thirty seconds. Somebody or something is taking us to a kind of a technocratic kind of um, a dystopian kind of a world. They're using things like pandemics and the threat of global warming and climate change to basically transform utterly the way we live our lives. And that transformation will be to a way of living that is nothing short of kind of gulag style. That's how I see it. This close, that's how, and, 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 and thanks for your honesty. Putin has done nothing. Uh, Nothing. N- n- neither has Xi Jinping or any of the rest of them to, no. to stop this. So, th- so that's why it's obviously even more fascinating what's happening seems, at the moment in Ukraine. It seems to me that what we're looking at here is the formation. It's pretty, it's an Orwellian type of scenario here where you have kind of, you know, in Orwell's 1984, you have Eurasia against Oceania and Eurasia and Oceania are, are always at war, you know. So that how you bring about a global a global two major blocks fighting each other. And I think that the natural the natural tendency of Europe is for the peninsula of Europe to join the Eurasian landmass. Right. Garrod has dropped out again. I don't believe this. He's dropped out. We're on Skype with him. That's why you heard that ping there. Um, he's not. His landline is not available right now. Otherwise, you might say, Richie, why don't you get him on, on uh, the landline? Um, but uh, I'm just gonna. I, I might have a mobile number for him. I'll give him a call then. This is really interesting. You'll find Garodo Colmon on Twitter. It's Broadford Soviet, all one word at Broadford. That's Broadford Soviet, all one word. Uh, Garodo Colmon. That's his website. GarodoColmon.org. That's a G-E-A-R-O-I-D-O-C-O-L-M-A-I-N dot org. Do give him a shout there. Um, I don't think the landline is going to be available. Let's see, can we get him back? Because we've only got 20 minutes left on this. Not even. And this is really interesting now. He's been writing about this for years. And, uh, right, he's off. he's offline. I think there is internet connectivity connectivity issues where he is but this is where this is where we need to go I think when discussing this so-called crisis in Ukraine what's really happening 
Uh, why is it happening? Who is Vladimir Putin? Uh, and, 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 and what's his agenda? Garoud, we lost you momentarily. I'm open because yeah, so, I want. Uh, really, um, yeah, but just before you come back in, just just keep an eye on the clock. We've got till five two, and then yeah, we're out. Okay, so you so manage yeah, I'm that time. Up, and I'm just going to try. So what I'm trying to say here is that I think you know the Russian view uh, in terms of geopolitics is correct. I don't think anybody can argue with that. In terms of you know national interest, uh, I do think that culturally Ukraine is Russia. Uh, if you look at its history, and I think Putin lays that out very well in his essay, I don't think you can argue with it. Okay. I think the natural tendency is for the Eurasian landmass to to join up that that to, with the European Peninsula, and that that is one landmass. And I think for you know interconnectivity and construction and so on, uh, that's kind of inevitable. But I do think, and what what I'm trying to say here is that essentially what Putin claims to represent is closer to the truth than what the West even claims to represent. In other words, Putin is sort of representing uh, a Christian world, a Christian world, a Christian worldview. And because they're, that's kind of what they're representing, promoting, not saying that's what they are, but that, that, that essentially is closer to the truth. And it's why they will win. That's why they, you know, they will win, I think the ultimate uh, war with NATO if they go to full-scale war, but the the new world order that Russia is forming is 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 going to be every bit as tyrannical as the every one that bit. NATO wants to form, yeah. if not even worse. You know, um, that. But I, I think that in a way, uh, they will bring the order out of the chaos. That's kind of what I'm trying to say. Um, but it's not going to be an order that's going to be that's going to liberate us. That's what sets you apart from every other independent media commentator on Russia, because you quite rightly say, as uh, my old pal Kevin Barrett said the other night on this program, the crimes of the Anglo-Zionist Empire far um, are far worse in recent decades than anything that Russia has done. There's no two ways about that. You mentioned them earlier on, you know, Libya, Yugoslavia, Iran, Iraq, we could be here all day. But it's incredibly, it's almost noble of you because you know you put yourself, you know, at, at risk of, you know, readers turning away from you because you're telling the truth. It's no better what's planned um, no, yeah, and that's, I mean, that's, I think, that's brilliant. Richie, I kind of see this in a, in a I think, you know, it's, it's important to move on to the, to the mystical, spiritual aspect of this. Because first of all, as you well know, in the last two years, this is a spiritual war that we're in. Yeah. And I think anyone who hasn't seen that aspect of it just hasn't understood anything. You know, I think COVID-19, uh, the entire agenda, this is a, this, so there's a celestial and a terrestrial war going on. And there are, you know, there's the, terrestrial war front and the celestial war front. So I think in a way you kind of have to look at these two and see sort of, so there's an element of speculation in all this as well as to where the world is going. I keep asking myself, what is the telos of Russia? What is its role in the world? What is its role in history? Um, Now, I'm very influenced by uh, the apparition of Fatima. I don't know if you've researched that or your listeners, but, you know, one of the, uh, in the apparition of Fatima in 1917, which happened before the revolution in Russia and predicted it, um, uh, Our Lady said that Russia would spread its errors around the world. Now, for a long time, people thought that was communism, and it was. But it, it, since even communism, it's been left liberalism, it's been Trotskyism, it's been Solinsky in the United States, and most of these were Russian Jews, and you know they spread all kinds of chaos everywhere, and uh, that's what we're living under in the West. This is why people are saying the New World Order is communist. It is. It's a sort of Sorosian, you know, communism. Um, it's a it's a it's a mixture of all kinds of of, 
you know, everything that's bad basically in the last twi- last century. Um, but, you know, one of the things a lot of Catholics, traditional Catholics are looking at, and I'm not talking about Francis, of course, uh, but traditional Catholics are uh, looking to Russia is because um, because of the prediction uh, that that Russia would be uh, would come into the Catholic Church uh, and would then be the motor for the re-Christianization of the world. Um, and it seems to me that this this is Russia's long-term role. Now, I don't see this as Putin's intention. I don't see this as necessarily, you know, again, he may be a very evil man. There are lots of things I said about him, a lot more I could say. But uh, nonetheless, I do think Russia has a kind of a, there's a kind of a teleology or Russia or an eschatology. You know, Russia has a destiny. And I do think one of it, its destiny really is to sort of bring order to the world. And I do think long term that Russia, that this will happen, um, that this is essentially a process that's taking place in the world. No, Russia claims to be a Russian uh, Christian state. It's not. They have the highest abortion rate in the world. They have the highest divorce rate in the world. You know, this is not a, Russia, a very Christian state in reality. Yeah. But there is this sort of... Um, this, how would you say, Russia's credibility is its claim to be Christian. The West doesn't even have a claim to credibility anymore. You know, that's the difference. It doesn't even have a claim to credibility because it doesn't represent anything other than evil. You know, that's essentially what, there's nothing that the West promotes that is good. At least Russia is pretending, if nothing else, to be Christian. And so, um, you know, that's why I think there's a kind of a mystical element as well to this. Uh, It should be mentioned as well that, you know, uh, a Freemason in Italy, um, Grandmaster uh, of Freemasonry in Italy, uh, Julie Magaldi, released a book a few years ago uh, in which he said that, uh, you know, he he basically exposed that the world is run by super lodges. He called them Ur Lodges. I don't know if you've heard about that. But yeah, I have. Yeah. These Ur Lodges, uh, you know, he mentioned Putin. He said Putin was in a Eurasian uh, Ur Lodge. And that... Um, you know, I, I do think he probably is. You know, he, he, there's no way he'd have become uh, director of the SF, uh, come out of the KGB and to the FSB without being a Freemason. You know, um, so uh, that's incompatible incompatible with Catholicism. It's not anymore obviously official because the Pope is a Freemason. Uh, but is he really? Pope, but the, the, the thing about the Pope, yeah, yeah, Pope Francis. He's a, he's, he, the, Pope Francis is a Freemason. And, and there's documentary uh, I, evidence, I, I is there? I personally don't think he's a, I don't, there is a lot of evidence. For example, a former chief of intelligence of Argentina said it, uh, that he was a Freemason and he knew him personally. Um, and there is uh, other substantial documentary evidence of his uh, initiation to the Rotary Club, but, um, and just his own behavior. But, you know, the, the point I'm making here is that um, if that's the case, that Putin is um in the Eurasian, uh, in Eurasian Freemasonry, you know, you know yourself. You've seen Astana yeah. in in uh, in Kazakhstan. It, the city is basically a model of Freemasonry. That the whole city was modeled, you know, according to Freemasonry, and that's essentially where Russia is, you know, um, weighing in terms of diplomatic power. You know, the Astana peace process has very much replaced the Western Vienna process. You know, in terms of resolving the problem in Syria. And again, you know, on a kind of a basic level, it's a good thing. But on a symbolic level, uh, you're, you're, you're in the same thing. You're in the same paradigm here. You know, you're, you're in Freemasons running the world. So, um, you know, that those things need to be 
need to be looked at. They need to be discussed. People need to kind of ask themselves, where is this going? You know, where where is Putin going to take the world? Um, I think that uh, you know, even if Putin is an evil man, and even if he's guilty of the crimes some people accuse him of, uh, you know, Litvinenko in England, uh, you know, he was uh, he was killed apparently, you know, a week or a couple of weeks after um, claiming that Putin was a pedophile. You know. That's and amazing. I think that if you, if that's true, if that's true, that he comes from those kind of circles, you know, the 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 the, the globalist elite circles, if he's a, a puppet of these, all bets are off. Then, if that's true, association with the World Economic Forum would suggest that all bets are off. With Gorbachev would suggest that, if that's the case, um, you know, then I think that Litvinenko probably would have been killed by the British, because that the British would want to would not want that to get out. You know, for example. If the West was really against Putin, like and really wanted to destroy Putin, uh, they could have launched this, you know, this this smear campaign against them. Like what, everything I've said at any time, completely wrong. You know, yeah. it could be complete lie. I may have completely misinterpreted what I saw. Uh, it may have nothing to do, you know. Uh, but the it, wow, what a great smear campaign against Putin! Put it all over the tabloids. Putin's a pedophile. It's you know, game over if that's the case. I've got to ask you this because we are running out of time. I'm I'm really hoping, uh, Garo, that this, you know, will, will be the beginning of something again. I hope we'll get you back on again real soon. I, I mean that because I, I I love to touch on spirituality with you and the spiritual contest, the spiritual war that others have talked about on this program. I, I can't not mention this. When we hooked up um, a week or so ago, and uh, I was looking back through your articles, you. Published in the Al Mayadeen English, you published an article entitled "The headline is Wise Men Fear the Fury of God," and it was about the Deontay Wilder Tyson Fury heavyweight trilogy. And you juxtaposed the 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 spiritual beliefs, the conduct of Tyson Fury, not only with his opponent but also with the mixed martial arts guy Conor McGregor. I have to say this: it's an absolutely brilliant article. It's so thought-provoking and I'm not a religious person at all. It's fantastic. I mean, it's a proper read. I've just sent it to a, a really great friend of mine in Ireland now to read and I'm going to... But I can't do it because I'd have to get permission of Al Mayadeen, but I'd like to repost it on my website with all credit given. It's just a brilliant read, man. Thank you. But I, I think, you know, the point I suppose, you know, the way I see things, and this is why you know, you, know, you have to be objective with uh, with... with countries like Russia, it's easy to fall into a kind of Putinophilia and you kind of, oh, Putin is the, you know, the new Julius Caesar and he's going to sort of sort out the world because in a way he has a lot of legitimacy, you know, as a leader, Russia has a lot of legitimacy. And again, I, um, you know, I, I, I support the Russian position here, even though I agree there's probably a terrible atrocity has been committed yeah. on all sides. If we were to be, you know, and I understand as well, Ukrainians who probably hate Russia. Remember that when the when the Russians uh, wanted to, uh, when the West basically, uh, you know, started preparing the youth in Ukraine for the Russian, uh, for, for the, um, the Maidan revolution, the Maidan coup, you know, they, they, if you look at the videos that they put out, they, they were quite clever. They used all kinds of far right and far left ideology and mixed them up together and sort of, they had this kind of a, you know, um, it sort of appealed to what people were thinking, like maybe Putin's the problem, you know, and maybe he is, you know, at another level. I've just said that he could be in many respects, you know, but like, so from a Ukraine, they, they appeal to maybe 
uh, frustrations that a lot of Ukrainian youth had. And it was quite, you know, because um, they control all sides, you know, like the Israelis, for example, you know, Zelensky's Jewish. I mean, he's, you know, he's a comedian, but what does he represent? I mean, there's, you know, there's videos of him, you know, in high heels and um, high heels and, you know, uh, you know, women's gear or whatever, dancing, you know. In drag, there's whole, yeah. yeah. There's this, I think what I'm getting at here is that, you know, there is a destruction of the Western man taking place. No doubt. Destruction of patriarchy. And... This is essentially why I'm saying the reason why Russia has a claim to credibility is because it's standing up against patriarchy, whether they mean it or not. But I do think that, you know, in Russia, they've taken a stance um, for patriarchy and against this, you know, LGBT agenda. And you have to come back to what you just mentioned about Tyson Fury. I mean, what impressed me about him, I only discovered him in this fight. I, 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 I didn't really know much before then, but I, I, I just found that there was something symbolic, you know, happening in this uh, in this fight with Tyson Wilder, you know, it is in many respects perhaps not technically, certainly not technically the best, you know, boxing fight ever, but it is sort of epically, epic. it's an epic fight yeah. and it has an epic significance in, in the sense as well that Tyson Wilder actually since has very much opened up to, uh, or Deontay, to, Deontay, yeah, Deontay yeah. Wilder has opened yeah, yeah. up to, uh, to Fury, you know, and they've very much reconciled. And, uh, you know, it shows as well that, you know, you can't, you cannot, um, you cannot violate God's law and you cannot mock God and get away with it, you know, long term. I think, you know, I, we need spiritual uh, guidance in these times, you know. Um, and, you know, for me, what converted me to traditional Catholicism, because I was an atheist for most of my adult, adult life, what converted me really was just seeing that there are people in the world there's something like, I don't know how many children in, in all over the world, but you look at statistics in the countries, you're talking about like 100,000 every year in Germany, 45,000 in Russia, 50,000 in Spain, uh, half a million in America, children go missing every year. Yeah. And the fact that there are, you know, we never hear about it. And the reason why we never hear about that is that the people who run the world and who have power um, kill children, you know, um, and, and they do this ritualistically, you know. This takes place ritualistically, and and all of that truth did come out in the Trump era, you know. It's it, which is why again this whole this this time is is very complex in a sense, you know. I'm not I don't I, Trump is no I get you can we Carol can we pick this up again? Uh, I, I like to do I mean we, we, I I normally do forty to forty five minutes in hour two, but from time to time I like to do a ninety minute kind of six thirty your time to eight o'clock because I'd like to pick these issues up specifically I think these important. you know I think you. that's yeah. why for me it's when you look at that when you look at that naked evil that when you when you think about it if you see any of the pictures of the sacrificed children uh, that came out in the uh, in the affair in, in America with the um, what's his name the Pizzagate scandal yeah all those pictures were online they, they posted this stuff you know children's faces eaten off uh, it's tortured to death and so on when you see that and you realize that that's that goes on and we never the reason why we never hear about it is because the people who control the media um are involved in that then i think you know you kind of got a choice it's either the synagogue of satan or the roman catholic church that was for me that's that's what, yeah and, and i'd like to pick that up i have to jump in here and say that an old colleague of mine um, David Icke, much derided and mocked and laughed at by the media, wrote several books in the 90s, specifically graphically detailing the things you just described there. And um, he, he went public and accused Edward Heath when Heath was alive um, of being complicit in the murder of children. Um, Heath abused children and at least one of them was thrown off the morning cloud yacht 
by his uh, close protection uh, detail. Mm. Uh, I can say that with absolute certainty. I believe that, as sure as I believe I'm speaking with you. But we are sadly out of time. I, thanks uh, for coming back. I, I missed having you on, Garod. As uh, one I Irishman to another. To as well. I mean, I'll come back again fairly soon. Um, Please do, mate. Yeah. It's Broadford Soviet on Twitter and it's Garodo Kulmon. And go to english.almayadeen.net. Read Gar- uh, Garod there, but uh, read Wise Men Fear the Fury of God. It is really thought provoking. If you're agnostic like I am, um, in, in the times we've lived in, it's a great, great read. Um, Akarat, it's been absolutely great to catch up with you again. And uh, I'll be back in touch with you, like within the next uh, couple of hours or tomorrow, to arrange another okay. another chat. And, um, and, and, and you know, last time we spoke, just very, very quickly, last time we spoke, if I re- recall, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, you had just been blessed, you and um, and your, your other half, with a beautiful baby girl. Is that right? And how is she? Uh, boy, yeah. Boy, it was a boy, it was a boy. He's, he's, um, you know, he's a hardcore Catholic now. He kind of understands, <laughs> he understands now that, you know, I, I just, just very briefly, you know, I, I, I was able to, uh, you know, during the lockdown, uh, I brought him to St. Pius X masses where there was no masks, there was no uh, social distancing and where they've been denouncing the new world order for over, you know, 60, 50 years now. And uh, I was able to kind of show him the difference between Roman Catholicism, which is pro-science, and, you know, fake liberalism, which is anti-science. And, you know, for him, he was able, at the arriving at the age of reason, getting his first communion, where everything was open and, liber- you know, everything was free, he was able to see the difference between uh, a Christian world and a world dominated by Satan. And so for me, that I, I, I thank the uh, Society of St. Pius X for that. St. Pius X. Uh, they were able to show us what Christianity might be, what a Christian world might be. Oh, we've so much to get into when we talk next time. St. Pius X. Yes, look, uh, we are bang out of time. Uh, Godspeed to you and uh, the family. Thanks again for today. Likewise. And let's God do it soon. God bless Garod. Sloan Tamil. Garodo Kulmon live on the Richie Allen Show. Broadford Soviet on Twitter. And GarodoKulmon.org is the website. Brilliant broadcaster. Great, great writer. And uh, a really balanced look at what's happening in Ukraine. Historically as well as, uh, as what's going on right now. Thanks to Garod. That's it for the programme. Uh, loved it today. Thanks to Dr. Jane Dunnigan as well. I've been Richie Allen. We'll do it again tomorrow, Wednesday at 5 o'clock UK time. Yes, we will. Until then, bye. Look after yourselves and one another. Bye now. I am just a poor boy, though my story is seldom.